Hello, you found Dogmatically Imperfect Condensed Imperfection, a condensed version of Season 1 episodes in a more digestible time frame. Today's session, The Biblical Heretical Pattern. Um, one of the things that's been coming up is something that seems to be confusing to some of you as you're hearing these challenging ideas. People are wandering and scratching their heads on how I seem to be grabbing on to some of the scriptures as authoritative and other scriptures I seem to completely dismiss with no effort to integrate them at all. It's kind of like either the Bible is inspired and reliable for establishing doctrine or it's not. You can't have it both ways, Justin. Well, actually, this is somewhat humorous for one single very important self-evident reason. If you disagree with the scriptures I've been relying on, you're actually doing the exact same thing, but in reverse. And you can't have it both ways either. Something to think about. And I kind of addressed this in our last session, but it's probably a good idea to go over it for a few minutes so we can focus on the trajectory of the show. Remember, my goal is to take you as far as you can see, and when we get there, you'll be able to see further. And right off the bat, we can see how emphasis on different scriptures leads to drastically different imperfect dogmas. Depending on your flavor of Christianity, people believe that salvation is by grace and confession, right? Faith only. Others believe that baptism is required. And still others believe that it's a combination of grace and good works. And some say you're known by your fruit. And then there's the division on whether backsliding is or is not possible. And the idea is that if you're truly saved, you can't backslide. And some think you can't backslide because you never truly believed or you wouldn't have been so cavalier in your behavior after you pretended to say the sinner's prayer sincerely. Either you were saved and you can't backslide, or you were never saved, so you still can't backslide. Or you have people that say, look, yeah, of course you can backslide. You sincerely believed, and then you messed up, and now you're no good anymore. And, uh, and each flavor of theologian points to their chosen scripture, and then declares, we must rightly divide the word of God, implying, of course, that their brand is the only brand that is rightly dividing the word. But, just by the simple fact that there are so many variables and variations, I mean, they're all getting this from the very same book, right? Right? It's not like one person is reading Catcher in the Rye, and the next guy is reading Moby Dick, and the other guy is reading Edgar Allan Poe, right? The Pit and the Pendulum. We get drastically different fundamentalist dogmas from the very same book. Does that mean God is schizophrenic? So, in fact, you do this all the time already. You dismiss the importance of the scriptures that I've been referring to, and you bring up other passages that directly contradict what I'm proposing. And in your mind, you are actually contending that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. Think about that. The infallible conflict. The infallible internal conflict. And this leads directly to the question that my dad asked me, and where our discussion uh, was left hanging before he passed. Is the Bible inspired or not? And this is actually what my dad asked me. He said, well, Justin, is the Bible inspired or not? And it was a very sincere question, and it's a very good question. And we didn't really advance our conversation beyond that point. And in the moment, I remember saying that I wasn't ever going to say the Bible isn't inspired, and I maintain that belief. I do believe that the Bible is inspired by God. 
a couple of nights after my theological discussion with my dad, a realization hit me. A question of my own popped in my head. Was Saul of Tarsus inspired by God? What was the driving force behind his extreme actions? And he did a lot of horrible stuff, right? Saul of Tarsus was inspired by his understanding of God based on his knowledge of what? The written word. And he was not outside the authorization of the scriptures when he was persecuting believers. There's my watch, and it's going nuts. Okay, terrific. I uh, Just by sitting here, I achieved my movement goal streak. So congratulations to me for sitting here. Um, but, you know, Saul was fallible, and he operated from a misplaced zeal, right? A sincere zeal based on a fundamental misunderstanding of who God is and what God really wants. Of course, Saul of Tarsus was inspired by God. And so the next question we have to ask is this. Out of his same zeal, did Paul suddenly become infallible when he was writing letters to the churches? What a great question. If we can point to one thing in Paul's writings that is contrary to the nature of God, then we have to take everything Paul ever wrote and filter it through John 10.10. 10. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14. And we're going to start at verse, uh, let me turn the page here because we're going to start a little bit later. Verse 34 is where we're going to start, okay? We're going to go from 34 to 38. If you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34, and uh, begin. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something... Let them ask their own husbands at home, for it's shameful for women to speak in the church. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that reached it? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things which I write to you are the commandments of who? Of the Lord. But if anybody's ignorant, let him be ignorant. So if you want to ignore the word, then you would go right ahead and ignore the word. Um, wow, Paul. Women should remain silent in the churches. If you want to know something, go ask your husband, right? So I'm asking you now, is it God's idea that women should be silent in the church? Is this truly a command of God? Is silencing an individual created with the Mago Day a form of stealing their voice? Or is it a form of giving life more abundantly? Hmm. Is a woman capable of hearing from God and giving voice to the thoughts that align with the nature of God? If yes, what category of John 10.10 would silencing that voice fall under? And if Paul's instructions are potentially anti-Christ... Should we blindly follow everything he wrote? Of course not. And since we can identify a place where Paul was not writing on behalf of God like he claimed, should we throw out everything he ever wrote? Of course not. Are there thoughts that Paul wrote down that do align with the nature of God? Yes. A lot of them. A lot of them. On camera too. A lot of them. 
you can see with this simple example that there's a lot in the inspired writings that we need to revisit. We've been blindly following and imposing ideas that don't align with God on both ourselves and on others. Don't fret, though. I mean, you do this already. I'm not, <laughs> oh my gosh, you're telling me to, ah, look, you do this already. We talked about one example last week, in fact, Acts chapter 1. Peter and the other 10 disciples looked at the written word. Let's just go there again. Good grief. It's not like I have to make it up. Acts chapter 1. Let me get my glasses back on. Let's see, what verse were we in? Uh, Chapter 1. And the days, okay, verse 15, okay? And in those days, Peter stood up, Acts chapter 1, verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120 and said, Men and brethren, of the, men and brethren this scripture has to be fulfilled. Okay, there's a scripture that he's referencing. Men and brethren, this scripture has to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part of his ministry. So if we skip down to verse 24, I don't want to read the whole thing. So we're going to skip to verse 24. Remember, we're, we're looking at a, a, an example in scripture that we really don't follow. We ignore it, right? And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which of these you two you have chosen. There's two people. One guy's name is... Uh, where are we at? i got to go back up. Oh, please forgive me. Okay, the verse right before. And they proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas, by transgression, fell that he might go to his own place. And twenty verse 26 is the key verse that we're looking at, right? And they cast their lots. They played bingo. And the bingo fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. All right. Do we do that? Do we do that? Is that how we choose our leaders, right? They pulled a number out of the bingo cage, right? Now, did this have an adverse effect moving forward? We have no idea. We don't know if it had a, pos- had a positive effect either. But they did it anyway because it was written. And I can tell you, we don't church our, pick our church leaders, church our pick leaders. We don't church our pick leaders. We don't pick our church leaders that way in 2023. So... We just throw that one out, and we don't live that by that example, do we? Now, that wasn't really part of my notes for this session, but it actually fits in with the topic, the topic, the biblical heretical pattern. And let's take a look at somebody who was thought to be a them in the New Testament. Okay, we're going to stay in, in the book of Acts, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, we're going to be in verse 1. So there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now, 
Send men to Joppa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. But pretty specific. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him occasionally. So when he explained all these things, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. Verse 11, And saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, and we see it here in our Bible, it's got red letters, because Peter recognized the voice of Jesus. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself, think about that, he's, he's thinking, he's thinking, what could this possibly mean? What does this mean? I've had this vision three times. Let me just keep reading, okay? Uh, he wondered within himself uh, what this vision which he had seen meant. Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three, uh, behold, three men are seeking you. Hey, there's some guys down there looking for you, right? Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. That's weird. These these words aren't in red, but that's all right. We'll just move on. Uh, Then Peter went down to the men, verse 21, who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yeah, I'm the guy you're looking for. Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? Why why, did you show up here? What are you looking for, guys? What do you want? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. And he invited them in and lodged with them. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Guys, look, remember I told you about that vision? Peter's on his way. You guys need to show up because he's got something to say, right? As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. I'm not the, I'm not the guy to worship, Okay. Uh, Verse 27, and as he talked with them, he went in and found many who had come together. Then Peter said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man 
common or unclean. This is interesting because he was talking about food before. The visions didn't say anything about men. It said something about food. So somehow Peter made the connection while he was thinking about it. Peter made the connection. In fact, I, 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 look, I got stuff to say, but it's important that you hear this, okay? Therefore, I came without objection as, as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and he told him all the stuff, right? And uh, so, and then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, uh, now I dropped down to verse 34. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Boy, this is such a big deal. This is such a big deal. Does this seem like it fits in with what Jesus was saying? In every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Boy, it's a big deal. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, pe preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. Look, it goes down, and uh, let me drop down again. And so Peter's just explaining the ministry of Jesus, right? In verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, right? Peter's ministry team was, was blown away that these Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with other tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized? I mean, Peter's trying to figure it out. He's scratching his head. Okay, look. So he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay a few days. Okay, so that's the story. I had to get through it at least one time, and now we're going to talk about it. So here we have an example of a few heretical things being abdicated, and then actually taking place. Up until this point, the disciples were under the impression that the good news, the gospel, only applied to Jews. After all, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. But Cornelius, a Gentile, hear this, was already in relationship with God. Let me, let, 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 let me say it again. Again, again, Cornelius, a Gentile, was already in relationship with God. The angel came and spoke to him, probably the same one who appeared to the Magi. You know, those Zoroastrian priests. Watch out, man. Your Bible's messing with your dogma here. And by the way, look at the things that got God's attention. Prayers and gifts to the poor. Seems like somebody probably heard what was preached at the Sermon on the Mount. Or maybe uh, they were around when, when uh, Jesus was talking to Zacchaeus. Or maybe Zacchaeus told him, right? And fast forward a few verses, right? And Peter's instructed to disregard his dogma. Kill and eat the things he was instructed from birth to never touch. But man, he learned his lesson when he denied Jesus, didn't he? So he thought he was being tested. And he wanted to pass the test. He said, no way, Jose. Skip you, Jesus. I ain't doing that. I ain't going out like that. And this happened three times. And he was flummoxed. And while he's pondering the meaning, trying to decide if it's a trick or a legit instruction, right? 
the Gentiles show up asking for him by name. And Peter hears their story and invites them to stay. And now a clear instruction was given that didn't conflict with his dogma, right? There was no conflicting, hey, look, don't hesitate, just go with him. So he goes back with him the next day and brings his ministry team along, right? And he goes in their house and explains to them that just by entering their house, he's engaging in heretical behavior just by stepping foot through the door. And verse 34 and 35, cement the new normal, which is clearly a departure from the dogma. And he is now a big time heretic. Do we think he had all the answers at this point? Or was there more dogma that, would, that Peter was going to have to shed? Yeah, there's more. After spending years in the physical presence of Jesus of Nazareth, he hadn't even scratched the surface. He struggled to get the very basics, and he still wanted to be the secretary of war, right? But now he's in the house of the them and trying to wrap his head around this one huge nugget just like you. You're trying to wrap your head around the things I've been pointing out from your very own Bible. Did Cornelius, when the angels appeared to him, did he say the sinner's prayer? No. When Peter had the vision, was the food waiting to be made clean? No. It was already clean. Did the food or Cornelius ask for forgiveness? I mean, if, if Cornelius followed the Lord's prayer, he said, forgive me as I forgive others, right? If he followed the Lord's prayer. Was it dependent on Jesus dying on the cross? Verse 43 refers to the prophets about forgiveness, but doesn't specifically refer to the cross. But we have to, but we have the example of Mark chapter 2, right? We talked about it last week. The guy was forgiven before he was asked and before a drop was ever shed, before a drop of blood was ever shed. Peter was dealing with something so contrary to his dogma, he didn't have room to process the memory of Mark 2. He's probably trying to figure out how this guy was already clean. So the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit, and Peter figured, well, I guess it's okay to baptize him then. I mean, was it even necessary to baptize him? They were clean before they left to get Peter. Peter's job was to let them know that he witnessed the Son of God in person, and in fact, the nature of God is to bring life more abundantly. Could God have baptized Cornelius and his crew before Peter got there? Yeah, he could have, right? But God wanted to throw a surprise party for Peter at the house of a Gentile. Surprise, 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 right? Gomer Pyle. Surprise, surprise. But this is but one example, right in our Bible of God helping humanity shed their imperfect dogma. And now I, I want to back up a little bit and point something out. Let's do a quick overview, okay? So we're going to go start. We talked about Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. Acts chapter 3, Peter's preaching the restoration of Israel to the Israelites, right? Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are in trouble with the dogmatic leaders. Acts chapter 5, this is an interesting chapter. Um, we see a story... Ananias and Sapphira, right, where, where we're told 
that God is acting contrary to the nature of Jesus. In fact, God seems to be acting more in line with the dogmatic leaders at the end of the chapter. Uh, does it pass the John 10.10 smell test? Or do we see Peter acting like the Sanhedrin? Verse 11, let's just go there. Okay, so we were in 10, now we're going back to 5. We're doing a quick overview, but this, this is worthy of spending a minute. Let me grab my glasses, right? Let's take a look at verse 11. <laughs> so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Great fear gripped the whole church and everybody who heard about it. Does God give us a spirit of fear? I don't know. I don't think so. Something to ponder, isn't it? All right, so Acts chapter 6. What's Acts chapter 6, Justin? Uh, Stephen is appointed, right? And he's an effective representative of Christ. Some of the dogmatic leaders are more than upset with him, so they get some guys to lie, to lie about Stephen. And then he gets in trouble, and he's brought before the Sanhedrin, and his face lights up like an angel. I mean, I got my... Here we go. Oh, lights up like an angel, right? His face lights up like an angel. In Acts chapter 7, oops, we're here, here. Uh, this is where I want to focus a bit. Stephen gives his speech to the dogmatic leadership. And at the end, he rebukes them. They were furious, right? Steal, kill, destroy. And then Stephen looked up, right? And he told him that he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Let's just read it, verse 57, okay? I'm in 7, uh, 54, but it's a long chapter, a couple pages long. So chapter 7, Acts seven fifty-seven. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city. They're like, it's Christianeth, get it right! It's Christianeth. Don't come into God's house getting it wrong. Get it right. And they rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell down on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Okay, you've heard this story before. So what am I going to point out here? Now, if you said that this is a great example of Saul and the dogmatic leaders acting under inspiration from their understanding of God, maybe even similar to Peter with Ananias and Sapphira. Well, this is an, this is an important thing to notice, but that's not what I was going to say. If you said that Stephen's response was like Jesus, to forgive them when they didn't even recognize they were doing something wrong, a stark contrast to what might have been Peter's solution, right, in the previous chapter, yeah, I mean, that's a good eye. But that's not what I was going to point out either. Here's the point you need to catch on to. It's an important step in the biblical heretical pattern. It is absolutely clear that Stephen was neck deep 
and comfortable walking in a belief that the dogmatic leaders considered to be blasphemous blasphemous and extremely extremely heretical and watch this Stephen thought it was only available to people of Israel this is what i want you to see peter didn't have the vision about gentiles until acts chapter 10 we're sitting here in acts chapter 7 Stephen died in a heretic belief that did not include Gentiles. Do we think he turned over in his grave when Peter walked in the house of Cornelius? Peter and James and John and Stephen were so rooted in their new belief system, their new dogma, did they even realize they were becoming a new version of the Sanhedrin? When Peter started accepting Gentiles, what happened? He got called to the Christian Sanhedrin, right? And James was grilling him. They did the same thing to Paul later on, right? The Jewish Sanhedrin told Peter and John not to preach in the name of Jesus. They ignored this advice, right? The Christian Sanhedrin told Paul that Gentiles had to follow the Jewish law. Eventually, he ignored this advice too, right? They had to get circumcised. They had to you know, not eat this, not do that, da, da, da. And, and eventually, Paul was like, man, I don't even think that's a thing. They're not going to be circumcised. That's not a thing. And today, depending on your flavor of dogma and your personal conviction, you have a set of scriptures that you cling to above others. And I'm saying we've missed the point. Rather than recognize the fact that every time someone thought they had it, there was more to the story. God was taking them as far as they could see, and when they got there, they were able to see a little bit further. Before Jesus died, he was telling the disciples there was stuff he couldn't tell them because they couldn't handle it. You can't handle the truth, right? Jack Nicholson, right? Jesus could only take them as far as they could see. And along the way, we see glimpses of who God is, and it's awesome. But humanity seems to always cling to some things that are contrary to the nature of God. Sometimes it's a really big way, right? And sometimes it's in very subtle ways that we don't really recognize. But Jesus taught us that we should consider how we would want to be treated and act that way towards others. I know that I've gotten a lot of things wrong. Sometimes it was out of a pure intention like the Sanhedrin, right? Sometimes it was out of greed, like Judas or Zacchaeus. Sometimes it was out of a zealous power trip or self-preservation like Peter. But in every situation, I know I would want my mistakes to be overlooked the way my dad set them to the side. So I do my best to extend mercy, to not judge, to forgive, and to show love and kindness. But even when I mess that up, God knows how to forgive me before I even know when I did something wrong. We see this over and over and over in our scriptures. I'm not saying my dogma's perfect. I know I don't have all the answers. I'm saying we're all dogmatically imperfect, even the guys in the Bible. even the guys in the Bible. And if we can get to that point, 
I believe that God will take us further. So, as you, Mr. or Ms. Gentile, stand perfectly comfortable in what Stephen died believing was heretical, right? You're a Gentile. Stephen didn't think you were a part of it, but you're perfectly comfortable standing in this, uh, what, what Stephen would consider to be a heresy. It is incumbent upon you to take a really close look at this Omega view. If you have any yabbats or whatabouts, please send them to the email in the description. If you want to Christian cuss me out, <laughs> do us both a favor. Don't try to save me. Save your breath. I'm happy to respond to genuine yabbats and whatabouts, but save that other stuff, man. I, I don't need to be saved like that. So um, the next episode is going to be, well, at this point, it, it's nothing is really going to be surprise you, I'm sure. Um, I hope you tune in. So until then, remember purpose in your heart to see the original goodness in others the way God sees the original goodness in you. Dogmatically Imperfect with Justin Marson is a production of Original Goodness Media. Thanks to everyone who supports this podcast. If you want to become a supporter of the podcast, there are a couple ways to do that. If you want to support us financially, you can go to the website originalgoodness.media. The other way to support the show is to share it with others directly or by leaving a review. If you have thoughts or questions that you would like to share, please send an email to yabut at originalgoodness.media. That's Y-E-A-H-B-U-T at originalgoodness.media. Make sure to search for the show on your favorite podcast and social media platforms. Special thanks to The Real Night Terror for our theme music. See you next time.